The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. It's good to talk to you all again. Appreciate you tuning in. James, how long has it been? I could I, I lost count. Days keep going by. You know, baseball's happening. We're still here, but it's been a little bit. Yeah, I think it's been a few weeks. Uh <laughs> you're being days. you're being worked worked uh not not too hard, but you know, a little bit at over yeah, at, six, we, over at six seventy the score. We're not gonna say anything bad. Um Try I'm, done, I'm done with, you know, my school year's over, but I'm teaching summer school and uh, me and uh, my wife and son just got back from Pittsburgh. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah, well, that's good, man, to hear that, you know, you're working. Same here, obviously. Everybody else, hopefully you're safe and healthy. And yeah, and you can go to a ball game again. It's a beautiful thing. And I've been to a couple Sox games this year. Hopefully you've been able to, to check out your various uh, clubs that you're rooting for. Today we're going to talk about some White Sox and specifically the minor league side of things and maybe a touch of the big league club because we have some things to go over here. Let's begin, as we preface this, we'll talk Garrett Crochet, Micker Adolfo, Romy Gonzalez, some Canapolis news, uh, but I want to start with the international scene because how often do we get this question, James? Where is Yoelki Cespedes? <laughs> Where is he going to be? Is he assigned? Is he? In, I thought he was supposed to be in Birmingham. What's going on there? How often do we get the question, do you A think? A lot. Almost every like day. Every day by multiple people. And then I feel like I've answered it from the Future Sox account and from my personal account. And so then I honestly, like, I just started reaching out. And I didn't get a solid answer as to, like, why this is the case. But Yoelki Cespedes is in Arizona at the White Sox, like, spring training facility at Camelback. And extended uh, spring training is there. So there are, like, baseball games going on there. Um, you know, they're not like official games or anything like that. There are some other players there, like Benjamin Bailey, you know, was demoted from Canapolis. So that's where he is. Like Eloy Jimenez is going to be there now, like rehabbing. So this is what I could, could tell. Yoelki Cespedes has got like, you know, a little over $2 million to sign. He had already established residency in the United States, so he didn't have to go to the DSL. So he could play stateside. And all indications were that, you know, he's pretty advanced. And Chris Getz, I don't think, ever said this publicly, but he told James Fegan of The Athletic that he was headed to Birmingham. So everybody's kind of like, all right, good. This kid's going straight to double A. Like, that'll be good. 
Well, then there was a visa issue, right? And this just totally comes down to the United States immigration system. Like he needs a work visa to like work in this country. Um, and he's like getting his bonus. So apparently that there's some issues there and I can't get a straight answer on it. Rightfully so. So he's not in Birmingham. I don't know when he will be in Birmingham. He is in Arizona though, and he's playing games and we look, we don't have stats from these games or anything, but to my, the best of my knowledge, he can play baseball games in Arizona because it's extended spring training. He does not get paid for those games. So since he's not making like a living wage, um, he's able to play baseball in Arizona. Um, he is not able to play at an, at an actual full season affiliate, though, until the visa issues are figured out or restored or how, whatever you want to say. So that's uh, that's basically the news on Yoelki Cespedes. Like, I'm hoping he gets to double A because, look, like we've had rave reviews about him from players. I mean, Jake Berger was just on the Chuck Garfine podcast and basically said he was awesome and, you know, he saw him hit like some bombs and there were people in Arizona who I've seen have said like the bat speed is incredible and it's big power and he's as fast as advertised, but then scouts that have seen him in the past, you know, the reviews haven't really been that glowing. So I feel like, you know, we kind of need to lay eyes on him. So, you know, he's in the system. I, I understand all the questions. He might be the best position player prospect in the entire system. So I get it. Like it is frustrating, but that's probably the best we can do as far as answering where is Yoelki Cespedes like as of right now? I don't know. I mean, how are we supposed to know if it becomes a, a visa issue like you talked about with immigration? Like uh, th- that's some tough information to come by. And I think it's interesting too when you bring up also like you incorporate the dynamic of Norhe Vera and Oscar Colas into this conversation as well. Because when they're signed, right, isn't there something regarding, and this is why we have you, James. James Fox here is brilliant, brilliant mind. It's the only purpose I serve. <laughs> isn't that why, like, isn't this a part of the reason why Norhe Vera and, and a guy like Oscar, I, I, Oscar Colas is a little different because of the way that the last two international draft classes have transpired as a result of COVID. But with Norhe Vera, he signs, right, and then there's, Something about staying in the Dominican that will allow him to make more money or save money without being taxed stateside. Is that something? Am I on the right track about that? Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. So the same thing happened with Luis Robert. Like Luis Robert got his $26 million or whatever it was. And the way it was presented was he gets to keep most of the bonus by staying in the Dominican during like the, the year that he was signed. Um, and it has something to do with not establishing residency in the United States. So it's like something along those lines. Like Gilbert Sanchez um, played in Dominican Summer League as well. And he was like 23 years old at the time, which is crazy. But so, yeah. So like Norhe Vera was in the Dominican when the Sox signed him. So he's playing in the Dominican this year. Now, I'm pretty sure like he'll be so then like once the I don't know when the year technically begins, right? But I mean next year in spring training, Norhe Vera will be, you know, in minor league spring training in Arizona and like that's where he will be. But, you know, Cespedes was a different situation because Cespedes was in Florida. So technically he was already here. So this like doesn't really affect him. It probably will affect Colas though. So like people need to brace themselves. Like Oscar Colas will sign with the White Sox January 15th. We'll make a big deal out of it. It'll, it'll be what it is. And then, you know, everything will be more normal than it is now. But next year, like in 2022, um, he'll, he'll probably be playing Dominican Summer League as, as a 23-year-old. And it's just kind of like the way this goes. That That's part of the reason why moving the period 
um, from July to January is, is an issue because if a guy signs July 2nd and they have to stay in the Dominican like until December, it's really not that big of a deal, right? But if they sign in January and they have to stay in the Dominican until December, like that becomes a much bigger deal because it's 12 months instead of six. So, you know, it's just kind of the name of uh, the game down here. And you're getting guys for $2 million um, in a cap system. You want them to get as much of that $2 million as possible. So this is just, you know, one of the one of the small issues, but it is super complicated and frustrating. Yeah, so Oscar Colas, a 22-year-old um as we record this podcast reported by Jesse Sanchez, what late May that he's expected to sign with the White Sox. $2.7 million is the number that I saw. Norhe Vera, a 21 year old right-handed pitcher, Oscar Colas, by the way, a big left-handed bat. Um, and, and for Colas, James, how do you believe he'll translate? I don't know how much time it's going to take, but you know, older international signing, he was raved as one of the top international prospects of the class and, you know, what, first base, outfielder, DH type, like what, what can we expect out of Colas? I know we're looking down the road here, but just curious on your take. I'm guessing it's similar to the Cespedes situation where it's like they would, in an ideal world, he goes right to Birmingham, which is what they would have done with Cespedes this year. But then, you know, we just talked about the visa issue. So, look, I wouldn't expect, I don't expect it to be like a smooth transition just as far as like him actually playing. Right. But that's like the type of prospect. So, you know, double a right away. And then you hope that he moves quickly. Like it's not Luis Robert. He's not like the Cuban Otani, literally like people need to stop doing that. Like, but I do think it could help him not pitching. Right. Like his body from what I've seen of videos of him, like his body looks as good as it's ever looked. Like he's slimmed down. He's probably going to factor in, in an outfield corner and he's got left-handed power. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's an interesting guy. The other thing that's helpful is he's going to play in the Dominican summer league. It sounds like, and he's going to play for um, Fernando Tatis senior. um, Who's like a, he's like one of the coaches. Like, so his, he has his own team in the Dominican summer league. Colas is playing on it. Um, Marco Patti, the White Sox director of international scouting, is friends with, you know, Fernando Tatis Sr. So I, I do think that's part of the plan. Like he'll go and play for that team. And look, there will be stats and stuff on that and probably some video. So we'll be able to cover that like in the winter. So so we'll see him a little bit before he becomes a member of the White Sox officially. All right. So keep an eye on that. And hopefully the Yolke Cespedes question gets cleared up for now. And then as soon as we find out any information, we will update you. But that's where it stands. As James just uh, explained. I there. think I think somebody just asked a question to the future. Side OK, yeah, yeah. Let me uh, put this on pause and I'll respond real quick. All right. <laughs> moving on to Garrett Crochet. This conversation, James, I want to touch on real quick. Don't have to go too in detail about this particular player, but I think he's such a unique player to break down at this point because you think back to when he was drafted how the process went where he was at his career I think that's the most significant point about all this is that really his freshman year not great in college sophomore year taking that next step and then there was a lot of development in his game still wasn't really a starter although he was starting to get bred to become one and his junior year, the expectation was top of the rotation horse for Tennessee. And we know what happened. The season gets canceled. White Sox draft him, use him in Schaumburg at the alternate site, and then call him up right away to use him because of how advanced he was in terms of his arm. So now we see him on the 2021 White Sox with the plan to use him 
across a full season makes sense because of the value that he brings to a bullpen. However, like this goes back to what we were talking about when he was drafted, James. Is this the most beneficial way of developing Garrett Crochet in terms of the long term? Like where he's going to be in a year, two years, three years down the road. If the White Sox want to use him as a starter, eventually, when will they commit to using him as a starter? Because if it, it's not going to happen this year, of course. They're trying to win a World Series. He's showing, especially over his last, what, 14 innings, only one earned run allowed. He gave up his first home run as a big leaguer the other night. It's just a matter of, in the long term, value-wise, you picked him at 11 with the intent that he's going to be a starter. And I'm not complaining. Like, this is not me complaining. I just want to see him as a starter because that's what I've been really looking forward to since he's been taken because I think there's starter's potential there despite the fact that there's so much value in him being an immediate reliever. Yeah, so it's very confusing. Like, I'm going to trust that they have a plan because I think Ethan Katz has been pretty good. But, like, yeah, it's it's very strange. Somebody's not being truthful. And, look, I guess they don't really have to be, Right. But covering that draft, everything we heard from everybody at the White Sox was this is a starting pitcher. It's a future starter. Um, You know, he didn't have the innings load in college like you talked about. People didn't expect, us included, him to look like he looked last year, right? I mean, I remember my phone buzzing like, oh, my God, like, are you watching this? Like when he was pitching in Cincinnati and every pitch was like over 100. It's like I don't even think the White Sox were expecting that, right? So, like, I completely understand Tony La Russa wanting Garrett Crochet in the big leagues and like using Garrett Crochet. Like I understand if they're like, okay, he's got 80 innings this year. I don't know that that's the number, but if it's like, you know, he's got 80 innings, let's use them all in the, in the bullpen, in the big leagues, trying to win a title. Okay. Like I get it, but it comes back to your point of like, when does he transition to starting then? Because there's no innings base and I've tweeted this and I've talked about it and right away, everybody brings up Chris sale and, it's like a point of contention with me because it's not similar at all. Like it's not even close to the same thing. Chris sale had three years of a starters workload at Florida Gulf coast university. He was a reliever in the big leagues to start. They transitioned him to starting. And I think his first full season starting, he threw more than like 150 innings. Garrett crochet cannot do that. As of right now, Garrett crochet looks like a late inning reliever. I don't know. You know, I, I was told there wouldn't be math on this podcast, but I mean, if he keeps pitching like two innings, tops like every couple days I mean he's gonna top out around 70 innings or so so my guess is he's back in the bullpen then next year and then you transition to starting in 2023 but even then you're talking what like 140 innings I mean when is Garrett Crochet gonna be able to throw 160 to 200 innings as a starting pitcher in the big leagues I don't know if that answer is ever at this point so you know if he's a lockdown reliever it's not the worst outcome from the number 11 overall pick, but it's definitely not what you drafted, right? Like you didn't draft him at 11 and be like, oh yeah, this is like the best setup man in the American league. Like, no, that like wasn't the plan. And obviously like if they win, nobody will care, but his usage has been weird. He needs innings. He's not getting them. Maybe that changes in the second half. I'm not really sure, but it's something I'm watching. Cause I don't, I don't really understand what the plan is with him. Yeah, it's workload, right? And I know we're maybe selling him a little short considering, you know, maybe he does, maybe he can, right, do that in terms of number of innings pitched uh, beginning in 2023, like you alluded to. I mean, it's a, it's a matter of commitment by the White Sox. It's like you got to pick a lane for this kid. 
Because if you start them, say, even early as next year, you got to give them a year to start. And, and that has to be at the minor league level or late in the big leagues in late season. And again, it's different for a guy like Crochet who's never done it before consistently over an elongated stretch. You're talking about 30 starts a year, say, in two seasons. This is a guy who hasn't started ever, right, outside of what, six, seven spot starts in college. And it's a matter of, two, the consistency of, like you said, the number of innings across the season, but every five days. Your body, I mean, that's a lot of stress on the body. And as a guy with, you know, who's, who's being sparingly used, but then when you're hearing from the manager that he's getting only one inning now, and then he comes in and pitches two over the net, like the next three, four outings, where's the consistency? And I guess maybe I'm nitpicking here for a guy who's ultra talented and who can handle it right now at this point of his career. It's just for a pitcher this delicate. I want to see a plan. I think that's what it goes back down to is I would love like they're not going to come out and say this, but I would love to have more clarity at the beginning of next year to say, okay, crochet was a huge part of the reason why we were successful last year. We think over the next three, four seasons that we can be even more successful with him in the starting rotation. And as a result, we're going to have to have him start in the minors this year. And I'd be totally cool with that because I'm looking forward to maybe even as 2023 approaches, this guy can give you, like you said, I'll take 140 innings if it works. And if it doesn't, then you default to him as a reliever. And I just, I want to see some clarity and I'm not complaining at this point in terms of the production. Like he's really good right now. And he's going to be a part of the reason why the White Sox succeed. But over the long term, over the course of his career, the benefit of him, the individual, the player, if the value in Garrett Crochet is as a starter, then I want to see a plan starting as early as next year for him to become that starter. Well, like one of the other issues is that the White Sox are good, right? Like that's, yeah, yeah. and that's not a problem. It's awesome. Like I like watching a winning team every night, but they don't have the luxury of like, you know, even if they go into next year and they're like, oh, we're going to try to start Garrett Crochet, but he's going to have a hundred innings. Like, no, like on a good team, they're going to have five starters and they're going to expect all of those starters to throw what, like between 140 and 200. Like you just like can't do it. You can't have the kid gloves on a guy like that. Like when you're trying to win a world series, you know, like the, if he were on the pirates right now, he could start and throw four innings and some, they could piggyback somebody. The Sox like can't do that. And they're not going to be in the position to do that next year or the year after either when they're trying to win. So to me, like the best plan was always he goes to Birmingham and starts this year. Yeah. And then he's up like, you know, and say he has like 30 innings left or whatever, like whatever it is. Then he comes up towards the end of the year and he throws out of your bullpen. They didn't do that, obviously. Yeah. So sure. we'll see, you know, we'll see how it goes. Like, I guess theoretically, right? Like he could be the Kopech role next year. Right. But even if he is... Like, I don't, I don't, how is that enough innings for him to start then in 2023? It's is not, that the it's not. best use of resources too with that type of arm. And again, like if he's going to start next year at all, I don't want it to be at the big league level. I want him to develop in the minor leagues. I want him in Charlotte or Birmingham, or mainly Charlotte, because he can handle it. And to, to the, your point about uh, Michael Kopech too, it's, it's interesting to think about that as well, because you have to anticipate turnover in the starting rotation beginning this offseason, Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon, question marks. Dylan Cease is suddenly your number three pitcher. 
So if you fill Michael Kopech and eventually Garrett Crochet after a couple of years, I mean, the, you know, things are going to continue to change, but I think that's that wouldn't be the worst outlook in the world if you're the White Sox at this point. No, it's not. But it, it, it just comes down to innings, and you're totally right. He needs them, and I don't know where he's going to get them yeah. or when. Yeah. So, I mean, the White Sox can capitalize on a World Series winner, and nothing will matter <laughs> outside of the individual's career. But if they win a World Series, then it worked. All of it worked. And it's and it's great, and it's dandy. But then over the long term, like you said, you know, left to be written in the course of Gara Crochet's storybook. Um, so, yeah, we'll leave it at that for now. It's an important conversation to continue to revisit when it relates to Garrett Crochet because it was an important pick in the 2020 draft. And it followed up with Jared Kelly. And that's a perfect segue for where we're going because a, a guy in Jared Kelly is starting to get first professional looks in Kannapolis. Boy, those Kannapolis cannonballers, James. It's, it's a tough watch at this point, despite all the talent down there. And really the most frustrating thing about it is the is the defense. I'm sorry. That is, that is bad. There's a lot of guys who, you know, coming out of high school or coming out of uh, the Dominican overseas and playing in their first professional baseball games at this type of level. And there's no room for error. uh, Pardon where we're coming from here, but there really isn't because of the lack of fallback options here um, in the minor league structure. So it's like if there's failure, you got to live with it. And it affects really most of all, and my point being, the starting pitching. A couple names that I'd like to throw your way immediately, and that's Bailey Horn. We talked Jared Kelly there briefly, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist. All of those pitchers that we're monitoring are being affected. You know, you're looking at their innings, their stat lines, throw those out the window. That's not telling the story. You have to actually be in person to evaluate the success or failures of these types of pitchers based on their their stuff, the workload, the, the fatigue factor, the velocity. That's just not the information that you can see on paper. And it, I think it's an unfair reflection of some of the evaluations that we're seeing with the Kannapolis Cannonballs right now. Young team, full of talent, very raw. Yeah, it's tough. You can't look at season stats for anybody, but especially that team. Like, it's really tough. Like, if you do that, I think, like, the only impressive guy is Jose Rodriguez. And I think he's, you know, we've talked about Jose Rodriguez a lot. Like, there are scouts who worry about him going forward just because, like, it's an ultra-aggressive approach. You know, it's kind of like Juan Uribe-esque, like, where he just swings at everything. But he's hit everywhere he's been. So... Like, until that stops, like, you know, Jose Rodriguez, I think, I, like, might be a dude, but he's also the type of guy that could get to Birmingham and all of a sudden, like, he never walks and he's, like, runs into trouble because of it. So, like, he's been pretty good. Brian Ramos, um, I, you know, I think we've talked about as maybe the highest ranked of all those guys down there, and he scuffled initially, but he's been pretty good, you know, over the last few weeks. Uh, the walk rate is a lot better. Um, he's showing some of the power and he's like, he's going to play the entire season at 19 at Kannapolis. So, you know, DJ Gladney, that's a lot of strikeouts, but he's walked quite a bit. Um, Krogman got hurt, but then he's back. Like he looks, he looks pretty good. He looks like maybe the most advanced of any of those guys down there. Cabrillo Weaver is starting to put it together a little bit. I mean, it's, it's just like you said, like most of these guys just, they didn't really, they never played advanced rookie ball, most of them. Um, they missed the 2019 or the 2020 season, and now they're in full season A ball right away. And it's uh, it's rough, and it's been rough for 
a lot of them, the second half will be really important. And look, they're not all going to make it, right? Like we've talked, like if if two of these guys like advance past double A and like turn into something, like you know that's pretty good. I mean, they're they're it's it's still an interesting team, but you have yeah. to but you have to watch every day, right? But you don't want to watch every day because the play's so bad. So it's like really tough. And then the high school pitchers, like it's not that surprising. You know, Michael's doing a really good job for us down there. And I think getting video is important, right? Like you saw it was either Michael or Anders took video of Matthew Thompson's like warm ups. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, like you watch him throw and it's a like, gap. Yeah. Like I get it. Like most athletic pitcher in the system has good stuff. But you don't know like when the defense is failing him if you're not watching games or you know yep. if he's working on specific pitches and he's given up four runs and then he hits his pitch count and he's out like there's all sorts of those factors with these guys down there. Jared Kelly, you know, got hurt. I'm told it's not serious. He's you know he's and you know he would probably tell us this. He's there's some conditioning issues just because like these guys have never played professional baseball before. Matthew Thompson, I think, like had some lower body issue. He's going on the DL now. So, yeah, I mean, this it's just kind of a wash. Like these guys just need they, they just like yeah. needed to play, and they're getting to play, and that's good. Um, but I don't. I just like the record's going to be bad. It's going to be like this. One guy you mentioned, Bailey Horn, um, yeah. guy that you're a fan of. He should probably be in Winston. I don't know. Like maybe soon he should be, especially if. Like if they think he's a reliever, I think he can. You know, I think he's gonna keep starting. But mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's like 20, he's like twenty three. Like, there's no reason to mess around and have him in Canny if his stuff looks as good as it does. Like, he have him in Winston with the plan of him starting in Birmingham next year, and that's a guy that can move pretty quick. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't really belong down there, in my opinion. I think yeah. Quickly on the Horn topic, it's. When you look at his in, uh, the innings, the number of innings that Bailey Horn has put together across multiple outings, it, it, you know it doesn't jump off the page. I don't think he's gone past five at this point of his, of his young career. However, it's again a product of you know the, the defense behind him a lot of the time and what the White Sox plan is, and we don't know what the White Sox plan is. And two for Bailey Horn, you know, limited, limited, and uh, this goes the like this can go across the board a little bit more so actually way more so on the lower levels in Winston and Kannapolis and even Birmingham too you can extend it. it's like this is a wash a lot of these young players especially in the you know the, the lower two affiliates in the White Sox system they got to get these at bats and, and innings under their belt again and then they continue their development into the off season and then hit it hard in 2022 you monitor what you have how they responded to this, and then you adjust. And I think that's really important. You know, we talked about um, Benjamin Bailey, a guy who got demoted, right? I mean, th- this is a project. A lot of these players are project players. And it's it's disappointing to see the lack of production and the success in Kannapolis specifically because that's where a lot of the top 30 prospects in the future Sox rankings sit at this point. But, again, it is a wash. I think really at the end of the day, you get the amount of at-bats you evaluated at the end of the year. You listen to the people who have been there, and especially shout-outs to our, our writers across the board in our affiliates, Michael Guarlia in Kannapolis, like you mentioned, as well as Anders Johansson, who's been down there. Julie Brady takes a trip out to Winston-Salem when she can, as well as Caleb Probst, who's out there in Birmingham, and our guy Jeff Cohen in Charlotte. I mean, those are on-the-ground observers who are writing about it on futuresocks.com that are giving you the day-to-day 
and what they're seeing from their own eyes. And, you know, you, you monitor velocity for pitchers, the stuff, the consistency, uh, and then the, the, the at-bats, the approaches, the plate appearances, how that evolves across a season. And that's where we're at, honestly. Like that's that's how you got to evaluate 2021 across across the board in minor leagues. Maybe in Charlotte, you can see the immediate re- results a little bit differently because I think that matters more so. Uh, but in Birmingham, I think James, as we move on here, is an interesting sort of uh, dynamic because of obviously the players there that we're monitoring too. But these are guys not so much. In, it's not a bridge year for them, but it's a more of a hey, do I belong? type of year for them and that doesn't like that applies I don't think any more so than to Mika Adolfo where he stands at his career uh, his age and James I know you're going to get into this but where is the White Sox intentions for him next year and that is the question because 2017 he was added to the 40-man roster wanted to protect him from the rule five draft Mika Adolfo gets surgery in 2018, which is a huge portion of that year. And here we stand still trying to figure out, is this a player? A lot of hard contact coming from Birmingham. Great to see. But again, the peripherals still tell the story that a lot of swing and miss rate, walking, not so much, a little bit better than we maybe we anticipated, but still there's there's questions there. But I think, again, like I want to say too, with, with Adolfo, there was a lot of adjustments going on across the last two years because of the amount of games that he's missed. And this is a great year for him so far in Birmingham. I think there's a lot of positive developments in his game. It's just, James, at the where he stands currently in his career is an issue for him and for the White Sox because they got to make a decision soon. Yeah, and, and it's it's honestly not even like just about the White Sox. I think it's about everyone because so he's in double A, he's doing very well. It's a I think we talked before the show, it's a one thirty plus like weighted runs created. Like he's he's hitting for power, you know, he's always gonna strike out, but the walk rate's like close to ten percent. Um, and the hit tool's always been a question. So like he looks pretty good in double A, and you would think like maybe he's a piece in trade talks just because of his status, right? So, like, he's out of options to start next season, which basically means, like, if he goes to big league spring training with the White Sox next year, if he doesn't make the White Sox, he gets designated for assignment, and then he's on waivers, like, free to any other club. But the issue is he has to make that club that claims him too. Otherwise, they have to DFA him. And this is often called like DFA limbo. Like if you pay attention to MLB trade rumors, like in the off season, sometimes there's guys like Carson Fulmer went through it. There's guys that like go to five or six teams, like throughout an off season because they're that 38th, 39th, 40th man on a 40 man, you know, and you're always just like constantly DFA. Like he's, he's reaching that territory. Now he has upside and look, if he's, you know, I think he's kind of like a poor man's Jorge Soler. Like, he can't play center like Adolis Garcia is, but it's the same kind of thing. Like the Cardinals gave up on Adolis Garcia because he was going to be like out of options. And now he's doing what he's doing for the Rangers and nobody expected it. So, I mean, if you told me that like three years from now, Mike Rodolfo is having like a decent big league season or even two years from now, like I could believe you on that as long as he's healthy, but it's not going to be here because of his contract situation and his option situation. So, yeah, I, I just, like, don't know. Like, people have speculated, like, oh, he's definitely part of a deal then. 
But I mean, like, I just, I don't know how valuable he is because he hasn't played in AAA. He's not ready to play in the big leagues, even for a bad team. And that's kind of like what he has to do. Otherwise, like he needs to be outrighted off the 40 man roster. So he's just, he's just in a tough spot and it's good for him. Like, it, you know, it's better than him being on the shelf. Like if he keeps hitting like this, he'll be somewhere. I just don't know what it means for like the White Sox going forward, as exciting as it is that he's like finally starting to put it together and he's healthy. Yeah. How does it, that's, that's it is where, where is he in terms of his status with the White Sox and it's time is running out and it's the unfortunate thing about baseball. Mick Rodolfo has been a part of this organization for a long time, dating back to what, 20, 2014, his first season was it 2013. He was signed. Um, he was in the and, international class with Aloy Jimenez and Gliber Torres. Okay. Like, so whenever that day that's, was. Yeah. yeah. Like Gliber Torres is like reaching arbitration with the Yankees, I think. Yeah, and Mike Rodolfo is in double A still. And, and it has to do, it's setbacks, you know? I mean, it's unfortunate. It's the way things work sometimes for players. Uh, and there's so much hype around Mike Rodolfo. And he's, he's very in tuned to the process in which – he has to be a part of to get better. Uh, and I, I referenced this multiple times. He had a great interview with Clinton Cole talking about the mental side of, of fixing what was wrong. He knew exactly what was wrong. It's just hard to do in baseball. And it's a great story to see him translate the setbacks that he had, what was plaguing him across two seasons in 19 and at the beginning of 20 and even late 2018 to where he is now. He's getting better, especially with his timing and the barrel rate. Um, he's hitting the ball hard and well, that's, he, that's the value. And he was also, he was like a big showcase guy, right? Like it's not like Yoelki Cespedes where he's like playing in Cuban adult leagues, like since the age of 15, like he was in the Dominican and he would like do these showcases and like put on a power display. And then he like joined a major league organization and they basically had to teach him how to play baseball, which was one thing. But then he'd get injured five times in five seasons or whatever, and it just becomes this impossible path, right, that he's got right. now. But when you have at least 70-grade power and an 80-grade throwing arm, like, you're given plenty of chances. Um, and I would imagine that continues. I just, you know, like we've said, it's going to be tough to be in Chicago at this point. 24 years old, Mike Rodolfo stands currently on June 15th, 2021. Maybe we'll revisit this exact conversation um, <laughs> looking back, but we just got to continue to wait. I mean, this is the beauty of where we're at, though, James, in 2021, is that we get to evaluate finally, man. We're, we're evaluating. It's it's a beautiful thing. A couple months into the minor league season, and there's some tangible evidence of guys taking that next step. And I think, one, that you're excited about, two is Romy Gonzalez in Birmingham, someone who was off to a scorching start, was sidelined for 10 days, came back, came back down to earth. But just in terms of the frame, the skill set, the tools, it looks like this is this is a player we should be keeping an eye on pretty closely. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, he's not like a similar player, I would say, to like Adam Engel, but it's similar in the fact that, you know, he was drafted in 2018, in the 18th round out of Miami, and he kind of played all over the place at Miami. Um, you know, you know, 103 weighted runs created plus, like in rookie ball, his first year with 10 homers he hit, like right away. You know, he he struck out too much, but he walked at an 8% clip. You know, that was back in 2018. Then 2019, you know, he 
you know, he still he didn't get on base a ton, but it was an it was a over nine percent walk rate. He hit four homers and four hundred and five plate appearances in A ball. You know, then there's no baseball in 2020, and from everything that I've gathered, he's in incredible shape. Like he, so that's where like the angle comparison comes in, right? So like when you look the way that he does, and you're capable in center field and shortstop, well, I mean, then you know, then you put up the numbers that you put up. Like he's got a chance, and like, look, I don't know what this means. Like once you know, once we rank the system again like maybe he squeaks onto a list a lot of like he is 24 um he hits from the right side i don't know when his so his birthday is september so he'll be i mean he'll be 25 this year so i would think like you know even a promotion to charlotte isn't completely out of the question he's played 27 games this year he's walking over 10 percent um the iso in in uh yeah (laughs) in birmingham is 340 which it's ridiculous. is insane, right? And look, he's he's on base at a 371 clip. He's slugging over six. Like anybody can look up these numbers. It's a 165 weighted runs created plus, and he's got 10 homers in Birmingham. I mean, you keep him there all year. I mean, this guy's going to hit 20 homers in double A and walk at a 10% clip, and he can play center and short. I mean, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that's a, that's a guy that's like going to get himself to the big leagues. Is it like an impact big leaguer that's going to be like – on top 100 lists, like as a 24 year old, all of a sudden, no, like absolutely not. But if you get an 18th rounder to the big leagues, you know, it's another scouting win for, you know, it was Nick Hostetler at the time. Hostetler had good things to say about Romy Gonzalez when he was signed. Like, you know, he doesn't say anything bad about the 35 players that they draft in a given year, but he, you know, I always kind of thought he was interesting because he hit a ton at Miami and he was a guy that was kind of mentioned like, oh, yeah, he could go sooner than that. And he just like didn't for whatever reason. He was, you know, he went 528 overall in the 2018 draft. And he's kind of done nothing but hit. I kind of think that maybe we would have seen some of this last year at Winston, right? But there was no baseball. So this is like one of those guys that's just kind of like an afterthought. And now it's like, wow, who's this Romy Gonzalez guy? And it's like not, you know what I mean? Like it's not completely crazy and out of nowhere that he's performing well. Um, but nobody thought 10 homers and a 160 weighted runs created plus like in double A. Like as right. of right now. You know, well, so. it, it reminds me of it reminds me of Gavin Sheets of like the next step that he was about to take in 2020. He had a, a really good year in Birmingham. The power numbers were up. He was driving in runs and he he got on base. He hit for a respectable average in a tough Southern League. In 19, and then yeah, you know, another example of the result of 2020 and there not being a season. And I think another player that we can lump this into as a result of the struggles of last year is Yolbert Sanchez, a number 17 ranked prospect according to MLB Pipeline at this point. And he's in Winston. This is his first chance at playing professional ball here uh, with the White Sox and almost 40 games in, it seems like he's passing the test. But again, this is a 24-year-old playing at Winston-Salem who was a top international signing, right? Or at the time of his signing, was a top international prospect. So you're, I'm curious where he stands in the evaluation process of the White Sox. Yeah, so it's actually interesting that he's, yeah, like he's he's played okay. I mean, it's a 360 on base percentage. Um, it's not a bunch of power, but he wasn't really brought on to hit right everybody we talked about said like yeah gold glove caliber defender on the middle infield 
that had trouble with the bat. But I mean, if he's going to get on base like this, um, he's probably useful. Now, you know, I haven't seen him in person, obviously. But if he's as good of a defender as he was billed as, I mean, this is, you know, like a utility man profile. And that's a pretty good use of two million bucks if that's what it is, right? Like you would like to see him at double A because he's 24 years old already and kind of, you know, like him being at Winston right now, I don't know, like isn't great just because of like how old he is. But I mean, yeah, like the homegrown utility players, it's 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 good. Like if he's your Larry Garcia replacement possibly like a year and a half from now and that's like what he is, that's a it's a perfectly fine use of the money that they spent on him. I just, yeah, I would I would like to see him like advance a little bit further. Yeah, and I, I think it's a matter too of hey, let's get this guy's feet wet a little bit. Let's not overwhelm him. And again, you know, he played at a pretty high level in the Cuban national team uh, before coming to the White Sox. So it's not like he, you know, he he wasn't up against pretty good talent. So I think over time, yeah, you, you'd like to see him move on to Birmingham. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take him this season. But really, the fact of the matter is, let's not overwhelm this guy. You know, I mean, you want to sacrifice an age 24 season in the minors, you might have to do it as a result of 2020. But here we are. And he's holding his own. I think it's all positive developments. And like you said, you know, it's hard for us to really evaluate the player without being there. We could talk to Julie Brady, um, as well as Anders Johansson, who spent time in Winston a little bit for us to, to get an evaluation, an accurate evaluation and even Luke Hallett, the guy who's calling Winston-Salem all season long for the dash uh, and see how his defense is translating. But those are just some names. Uh, a couple that I'd like to leave you with before we wrap things up here on the pod is Kyle Kubat. Been a fan of his ever since I saw him pitch a little bit in 2019 spring. It was an interesting development in his career in 19 with Birmingham. Was a reliever. And and this is an older prospect, 28 years old in the White Sox system. And when he went to Birmingham in 19, like I said, there's not a lot of value there as a reliever, but then he started and did really well. Well, now he's back as a reliever in Charlotte and he's, he's doing okay. So I wonder how Kyle Kubat is going to uh, translate a little bit and maybe he gets a shot at the big league level at some point, just as like a spot fill in left-handed relief arm if they need him. Keeping an eye on Jace Fry, too. Uh, don't forget about Jace Fry coming off the IL at some point, hopefully, um, as well. Oh, yeah, Alec Hansen. Remember Alec Hansen, James? Uh, I don't mean to scoff, but his his stat lines are just incredible. If you look at his game logs this year, it, the control is all over the place. The stuff is still wicked, but a 784 earned run average over 10 games, and he's not being utilized a lot. Like He is you know, five days in between outings. I, I think there is... Yeah. it's tough to develop a guy. You just can't put him out in the mound if he, if he can't get it over for strikes. So I think there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes with Hanson uh, and they're trying to help it translate to the big, like the professional quality mound at this point. It just hasn't worked. And it's unfortunate after the 2017 season that he had uh, as the 191 strikeouts over 140 innings that uh, really took a lot of us aback um, a guy who, you know, dominated, that season. But ever since it's been a struggle for Alec Hansen. Uh, so just wanted to get that out there, James, I don't know, final thoughts before we wrap things up. Yeah. So I know the, the mechanics with him have just, you know, it's just always been a huge problem. I mean, Alec Hansen was for like a three or four week stretch looked like it was going to be the number one overall pick in the country, like back in his draft year. And then it just, you know, it, it's all fallen off, which is, 
really unfortunate. But when you have stuff like him, like you, you know, you you're going to continue to be given chances. The pitching staff in Birmingham is interesting. Jason Billis is a guy I've always kind of liked. He was really good in Winston. He's he's struggled a little bit in the starting role since getting the promotion to Birmingham. Most scouts have pegged him as a future like high leverage type reliever, so that transition could happen, I guess, at at some point. But they do have him still starting. You know, Cade McClure is a guy that we know that's there. I mean, his ERA is like in the sixes, but I think that was pretty much one bad start, and he's looked pretty decent other than that. Um, The guy that I wanted to touch on before we're done is Connor Pilkington. Third-round pick um, back in 2018 out of Mississippi State. You know, his stuff kind of backed up a bit. He struggled in A-ball quite a bit. He has a 260 ERA in Birmingham right now. The looks that our guys have gotten – said the fastball's back to like, you know, touching 95, like 93, 94. So that that gives him a chance, I think. Probably a back-end type of four or five, but, I mean, it's better than, you know, what it looked like was happening in 2019 um, when he was he was getting roughed up a little, just a little bit, and the stuff wasn't as good as it was, like, projected coming out of college. So it seems like the stuff is back there. Um, he's He's thrown 27 innings. In double A, he's not walking many people, um, and the fastball is better. So he he's kind of a guy to watch going forward. I don't think we ranked him last time, but we'll we'll probably definitely rank him on the next list whenever we do it midseason. All right, James. Good stuff. Let's do it again sometime soon, huh? Yeah, sounds good. We got the you know, the major league draft is something that we do here, and it's it would normally be right now. And it's not until July eleventh during All Star Weekend. So you know, we'll have profiles hitting the site, three or four of them per week. Uh, we got help from some people this year from other sites, some some friends of ours. So that's helpful. We'll have some guests on the podcast as well to break down the draft. Uh, you know, we're pretty much four weeks away from the 20-round draft that's going to be the new norm, it seems like. White Sox pick 22? They do pick 22, yes. And it's, you know, there, there's lots of rumors that this might be the year um, that it's a prep infielder, you know, just a couple of names. Colson Montgomery from Southridge, Indiana. It's like Southern Indiana. And, you know, Mike Shirley's a big fan of Indiana guys in general. He's he's rumored at a lot of different outlets. West Calf is another, you know, infielder, left side of the diamond infielder out of a high school in Arizona. And then you can never discount college pitching with the White Sox. And it's a weird year where nobody really knows what teams are, are going to do, especially like you know, pinpointing what's, what it seems going to do at 22 is really hard. So, you know, we'll mm-hmm. have profiles up from the, on the site, hopefully of the player that they eventually choose, and then we'll cover it after like always. So, but it's, you know, you're getting down to that time where some of this stuff becomes more solid as we go along. Um, and we've never had a July draft before. So it's, it's kind of uncharted territory. All right, James, talk to you in a month. All righty. Sounds good. I think we'll do it sooner than that. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox podcast. You can check us out on anchor.fm forward slash Future Sox for our entire library. Hey, we've been working. I don't know if you've noticed, but go to futuresox.com and check out all the content that our writers are putting together. Like James said, we're going to have draft coverage. We've been providing draft coverage for the last week plus, as well as affiliate visits, game day recaps, and much more. Thanks so much for tuning in. Once again, we'll talk to you all next time.